This is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. New concerns about the effectiveness of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, the one shot, and the potential for Moderna or Pfizer boosters. But one public health official in the Northeast says the vaccines are working, even with the Delta variant out there. American life expectancy saw the biggest drop last year since World War II. COVID, the main culprits, overdoses, gun violence also playing a role. And some L.A. bars and restaurants starting to require proof of vaccination in order to come in. We start, though, with the J&J vaccine. New research shows it might be less effective against the Delta variant. So if you got the J&J shot, should you be worried? Dr. Gregory Poland, director of the Vaccine Research Group at the Mayo Clinic. So, doctor, what should we make of all this? What we're seeing is exactly what we predicted against the original virus and the Alpha variant. All three vaccines available in the U.S., extraordinary efficacy and safety in regards to COVID-19. Because of the number of people unvaccinated, this virus continues to mutate. We are now facing the Delta, Delta Plus, and Lambda variants. For all of the vaccines, they remain very efficacious against death and severe disease. For all of the vaccines, there is a slight decrement in their ability to protect against asymptomatic, mild, and in some cases, moderate disease. Is the Johnson & Johnson any worse than the Pfizer and Moderna, which also take a little bit of a dent, or is it just kind of in the same area? It's It's a great question, and we don't have a clear answer to that. Let's just take the case of a closely related vaccine, the AstraZeneca, not available in the U.S. Adenovirus vectored vaccine, one dose, about 33% protection, two doses, about 60%. We have two studies out about the J&J, one that we only know the data from a press release from the company showing that it maintains its efficacy in in the small number of people that were studied against Delta variant. The second, what you referenced at the top of our time here, a very small preprint, meaning it has not yet been peer reviewed, of a very small number of people suggesting that its ability to neutralize the Delta virus may in fact be lower. So if somebody got the J&J vaccine, should they run out and get a Pfizer or Moderna? At this point, I would say no. Now, that that is subject to change based on the ongoing research happening. But right now, there is no such recommendation. Some people have been doing that. Some of them doctors, some of them just because they think, well, what the heck, I might as well just go try it. Um, They don't seem to have any super adverse effects. This is being studied, and it has been for some time, right, mixing and matching. Yes, you're right. Uh, There's an ongoing study at the NIH, and there's a study done in the UK uh, of the AstraZeneca followed by an mRNA, so two total doses. And they found quite a boost in immunity from doing that at the price of a little more reactogenicity or side effects. 
I was going to say, you know, uh, Americans, maybe other people as well, we tend to think when it comes to medicines, more is better. So if, you know, two shots are good, three shots must be better. If three shots are, are better, four shots must be really terrific. <laughs> but, but that isn't necessarily the case with vaccines, is it? You're, you're, you're exactly right. In fact, you know, we know, for example, with pneumococcal, that is pneumonia vaccines with tetanus vaccine, you can actually induce what's called a serum sickness from over-vaccinating. So uh, I would not at all take it uh, as safe, absent proper studies to say, let's just give more and more. You mentioned earlier Delta, Lambda, and then Delta Plus. What is Delta Plus? So Delta Plus is yet another set of mutations on top of Delta. Don't have a lot of information yet in the real world as to um, just how bad an actor it would be. In fact, I think it's being outcompeted, frankly, by Delta. The point of all of these, and and you mentioned Lambda, uh, almost 95% or so of the infections in Peru are Lambda. And just this week, we identified our first Lambda infection in the US. This is going, I wanna be very clear here. This is going to continue to happen until we reach very high population vaccination coverage. I, to go back to Delta Plus, which I have to admit sounds like something you pay extra money you for get on the airline. Room. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you get extra room. Uh, wh- why is that uh, not a whole new uh, letter category? Uh, why is it a, a Delta still but a plus? Because it's a subtle variation on the Delta mutant variant. All right. Dr. Gregory Polins, director of the Vaccine Research Group at the Mayo Clinic. Thanks largely to COVID-19, the average lifespan for Americans fell by 18 months in 2020. That's the largest drop since World War II. Dr. Stephen Wolf, senior advisor to the Center on Society and Health at Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. So, doctor, that is a pretty significant decrease in life expectancy. Well, yeah, although you're you're uh, communicating a common misconception about what we mean about life expectancy. It's actually not a prediction of how long we will live. It's a statement of how many people died in the year it's estimated for. So this massive decrease in life expectancy that the CDC is reporting is reflecting how many Americans died in 2020. Uh, It's not a prediction of how long all of us will live. So then how do you think about it, though? If we say, you know, largest drop since World War II, that obviously sounds pretty bad to us, but we're not in the field. So what does it sound like to you? It's enormous. So just to give you some perspective, a few years ago, there was a lot of news coverage about declining life expectancy in the United States. We went through three consecutive years of falling life expectancy while it was climbing in other countries. And the amount of decrease then was 0.1 years, one-tenth of a year. And that was generating a lot of anxiety in the public health community. Now we're talking one and a half years. And in people of color, in the Latino and uh, Black population, we're talking decreases of three to four years in life expectancy, reflecting a massive loss of life uh, among people of color. Is that difference with people of color uh, normally the case? Is there normally that disparity or is it particularly because of COVID? Oh, unfortunately, it is normally the case and has been that way for generations. Uh, COVID is a new example of a very old problem where uh, people of color 
uh, are exposed to higher rates of disease and shorter lifespans because of the conditions our society creates for them. And for this last year, obviously, COVID is probably a big part of it, but we also have just had everything else that's going on. We have other chronic diseases. We talked about the rate of overdoses going up, and you just start to add everything up, and it just it gets this bad. Yeah, we were in a bad place uh, going into the pandemic. Uh, rolling into the pandemic, we had a, a real public health crisis, not only with the opioid epidemic, but rising death rates in our working age population. And what happened in 2020 was superimposed on that. And the anxieties created by the pandemic, the lockdowns and other stresses on people's jobs and businesses, uh, it's not a surprise that uh, we've seen an increase in drug overdoses, unfortunately, along with other uh, complications uh, resulting from the pandemic. These figures represent uh, just the U.S. uh, or are they global? Well, the CDC only reports data for the U.S., but in a study we just released a few weeks ago, which found very similar results for the U.S., we also included a comparison with 16 other countries. Their average decrease in life expectancy was 0.22 years. So in other words, the U.S. drop in life expectancy was eight and a half times the average for peer countries. So what's wrong with us? There's a lot wrong with us. Uh, this this disadvantage that we experienced during 2020 uh, is uh, of a piece of a larger problem that's been going on actually since the 1990s, where the health of Americans has failed to keep pace with people in other high-income countries. We have some systemic problems in our country that are really compromising the health and the lifespans of Americans. Dr. Stephen Wolf, Senior Advisor to the Center on Society and Health, Virginia Commonwealth University School of Medicine. Coming up after this short break, just how effective are the current vaccines against the Delta variant? With the Delta variant circulating, there is a lot of concern about whether the vaccines work against it. Public health officials are paying close attention. One of them, Dr. Richard Lorraine, medical director of the Montgomery County, Pennsylvania Office of Public Health. He talks with KYW's Jim Melwertz about the variant and the vaccines. This particular um, variant of COVID is a bit more transmissible. It does not seem to be any more deadly or virulent. We're seeing the same number of severe cases per capita, the same number of hospitalizations, unfortunately, the same number of deaths. But it's not increased, it's just an, an easier transmission. Uh, the majority of transmission these days is indeed, not surprisingly, in the unvaccinated population. Um, we are seeing a bit of breakthrough um, with the vaccines. The numbers are up a little bit from where they were before. It's still showing that the current vaccines have very, very good protection, even against the Delta variant. Um, we're continuing with our vaccination efforts, of course, And we're encouraging those people who were on the fence and still trying to decide whether or not to get vaccinated to really consider doing so. We're trying to provide as much information as we can so that people can make an educated choice about that. Um, I get a lot of contact about concerns about potential side effects of these vaccines. And I acknowledge, and I always acknowledge in my common practice as well, that just about everything we do in medicine has potential risk associated with it. But you have to look at what we call the risk-benefit ratio analysis. So whatever the risk may be, whatever the side effects are, and what, particularly whatever the prevalence of those side effects are, the numbers that we actually see, 
does that out is that outweighed by the benefit of the, in this case the vaccine preventing COVID illness and COVID hospitalization and death? And with everything that we've seen so far, the things that have been publicized, so we had. Uh, the questions about blood clots, particularly with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. We have uh, questions about myocarditis and pericarditis, inflammation around the heart with the Pfizer and the uh, Moderna vaccines. We also have a recent report about some episodes of Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a neurologic disorder that causes a temporary paralysis. We look at those and we don't just routinely say, in spite of that, everyone should still get vaccinated. We really look at the numbers. We say, okay, how many cases, how many excess cases of these particular side effects occurred with the vaccinated population over the native amount in the population? Because these conditions do occur just in general without any provocation. And then we compare that to the number of, of lives saved by vaccination, of hospitalizations saved by vaccination. And in every single case thus far, the number of lives saved and hospitalizations saved has been greatly in excess of anything related to the potential side effects. So we still continue to strongly recommend vaccination. We recognize that these side effects can occur. They are very, very, very rare. Um, people take risks in other things in their daily uh, activities. Uh, I often point out in my office that People drive in cars to get to my office, yet there are a number of accidents, fatal accidents, unfortunately, every day in the United States. But that's a small risk that people take to get to, to the benefit of where they need to be. And it's the same thing with what we do in medicine, a small risk, a significant benefit. I love when I don't have to ask a question and you just... So the person says everything I need to know. I, I do tend to ramble on a little. Bit. That's good. I, I ask too many questions, so we'll get along well. Um, going back over, I, I guess, kind of, uh, what 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 do you say to parents of kids under twelve? I know the last time we talked, there was because the the virus level was so low, masks were kind of the the, the benefit of masks. You had said statistically was kind of questionable. Uh, where are we now? What What are you saying to, to parents of, of kids under 12 who, who can't be vaccinated? Yeah, we're actually still at that same point. So the, the positivity rate is still very low. The number of cases, although there was a small uptick last week, you don't draw conclusions from just one data point. Um, so those number of cases are still small. The risks are still very, very small. So particularly if parents have been vaccinated, there's very, very little risk of transmission, even within family, what we see in terms of the transmission is still pretty much, you know, direct gatherings, not, not so much parent to child, child to parent. So we're still comfortable uh, with making the recommendation of not needing to mask indoors when you are with your, your particular cohort group. While there isn't a government mandate to get a COVID-19 vaccine, more and more businesses are requiring their customers to be vaccinated. That includes a number of bars and clubs in L.A., right here where we are. Lance Barisi, owner of Permanence Records Roadhouse, it's a live music venue, record store, bar, lounge in Glacelle Park. He's requiring customers to show proof of vaccination or a negative test before they go in. So, Lance, what's behind that decision? We 
decided to go that route um, kind of in, for two main reasons, out of solidarity for the other bars in the area that were also going that way and also for the protection of our staff and uh, our customer base. Uh, we just want everybody to be as safe as they possibly can. We'd really prefer uh, that people uh, not come here if they're not vaccinated because they're putting themselves at great risk, and we, we're all about having a good time and, and being safe. And what is the reaction as, as, as far as you can gauge it so far? Uh, mostly positive, especially from the local folks who actually uh, are regulars here at the Roadhouse. Uh, online, as you know, online reaction uh, from people who don't even live in L.A. Uh, has varied um, from actually pretty abusive uh, language to bullying and harassing type language uh, to the point of being called Nazis and whatnot. But, you know, that's the Internet. Uh, the reality of the situation is that most locals are supportive of our decision, and we're very happy to hear that. We're doing it for them. And you're giving the option of proof of vaccination or testing because why? Um, well, the proof of vaccination is just so that everybody in the venue knows that everyone else in the venue is vaccinated. And a negative test should also make it so that anybody who cannot get the vaccine for whatever reason uh, can get tested and, and, you know, move about freely uh, all while we all know that they are not COVID positive. All right. So let's say I'm coming in. Do I go to the door and the bouncer's there and I show my physical card? Can I show the thing on my phone? How does it work? Yep, you got it. So you just, the same way at any given bar, you'd have to check in with a bouncer or a bartender and show the ID that proves that you're over 21. While you're doing that exact same thing, we just request that you show your physical printed um, vaccination card or a digital version. I know there's a couple of different varieties of these and and or uh, proof of a negative test and, and all will be well. I, I presume that uh, you have a mix of customers that are local, you mentioned, and maybe some that are coming from out of town. Are, are the ones that are coming from outside of California perhaps more of an issue? Um, potentially, I guess. Um, we've only had the policy in place for one day since we've been open, and we had no issues whatsoever. No one was upset about the request um, on Sunday night, and I don't foresee that being an issue going forward. And if it is, we'll apologize to uh, those customers who'd like to patronize uh, the Roadhouse and you know, tell them where the next closest place they can go is. Uh, unfortunately, we're living in unprecedented times and everything's not perfect, but we're doing our part to encourage people to get vaccinated so that we can all just get right back to normal as quick as possible. Yeah, you said a minute ago, all will be well. It's obviously the game plan, but I wonder, let's let's play it late at night, your place, or maybe it's another bar that's doing this. It's past midnight, people are trying to get in, it's their third stop, they've been drinking, the bouncer says no. <laughs> They get into this big fight, and then it's on you guys to play literal, you know, vaccine passport police there. And do you worry about any of that, you know, late with alcohol and arguments getting started? Of course, that's always a concern. Luckily, uh, we're a really unique establishment in that we don't um, get a whole lot of belligerent people coming to our place. This is a community-based venue. Um, it's fairly small. We only have 98-person capacity. And everyone here is, 
you know, the staff especially um, is so incredibly friendly that we generally don't get the kind of people who are going to be um, violent or uh, reactionary at the door. If that happens, we'll deal with it on a case-by-case basis. But luckily, uh, permanent records in general and the Roadhouse, our new establishment here in Cypress Park, don't have that kind of people, those kind of people coming here. And hopefully the fact that we've advertised that um, we're requiring proof of negative test or vaccination card will keep those people away. And, you know, there's plenty of other options for them at the moment. Well, that's actually interesting because it's the other, it's the flip side, right, of you're saying you're getting some negative comments on uh, uh, social media from people who are not even in uh, Los Angeles, but you also are advertising that you are, uh, requiring proof of vaccination or testing, do you think that actually is giving you business? Um, I'd like to hope so. Um, that's kind of the point, is to let the people who would normally want to come here but may feel unsafe because there may be unvaccinated or uh, COVID-positive people in the mix, a little reassurance that there is a gatekeeper at the door keeping those who are not vaccinated and those who have not uh, tested negative recently uh, outside of the building. You talk to some of the others that are on this this list now, because there is the group of of bars and lounges, like we said, and and among them, I mean, do you hope, do you think that now that you guys have done this and others have done this and, you know, it's getting a little bit longer, that more are going to start in, that maybe it's some kind of domino effect out there? That is my my hope. I I think, you know, because there is no actual regulation put in place by the government, it's now up to us as private businesses to start making our own rules and regulations that can keep us from falling back into what put, almost put many of us out of business during the pandemic. So, yeah, I would love to see. That's another reason I'm a part of the first wave, because I want to let everybody in the community know that we support this um, this policy, and we would love to see neighboring businesses um, embrace it and implement it, so that for the safety of everyone, so that we can all get uh, back to normal. Because as far as I understand it, the only way we're going to get there is if we get a lot more people vaccinated. What have you heard from other bar owners? Um, it's a mixed bag. I haven't had a chance. I'm a very busy man, so I haven't had a chance to actually reach out to a lot of other or any other bar owners to see how they feel about it just yet. Um, but I know based on the, you know, the list growing that it's it's a popular concept. But it is also, it was a difficult decision for us to make because we understood that the possibility of people reacting negatively to the policy was there and nobody likes to upset anyone. Um, so, so I understand reluctance that anyone might have, um, but ultimately it's for the greater good. And, and I really hope that, that people can see why we're doing it, understand it and if, and see the light that if uh, we all implement the same policy, we'll just get to a better place that much quicker. Lance Barisi, owner of Permanent Records Roadhouse, live music venue, record store and bar lounge in Cypress Park. An Alabama doctor sharing some heartbreaking stories. She posted on Facebook that she's heard pleas from patients fighting for their lives, asking for the COVID-19 vaccine. And she is forced to tell them that it's too late. She says she's told the family members of people who have died from the virus that the best way to honor them is to get vaccinated and to encourage their friends to do the same. 
This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Stitcher.